And thank you, everybody who's shared this morning. Thank you for your kind words. I honestly don't recognise the person you're speaking about, but anyway, that's a different story. I was wondering about putting the wig on, but I thought looking like Boris Johnson might be a little bit of a distraction. So how do we summarise the last eight and a half years? Well, it was about nine years ago that I first had a conversation with somebody called Roger Sperling, who I know many of you will know, and who's probably watching this morning to talk about a vacancy that existed at Lynn Baptist Church for a minister. Where has that nine years gone? Nine years ago, we came as, well, eight and a half years ago, we arrived here as a very young family. Can we just put the, the PowerPoint up? Um, I found this picture of our induction service just a few days ago. Oh, isn't that cute? Look at that. There's our two, what were at the time, very little boys. Timothy was nine, Nathaniel was six. They have changed beyond recognition. Have me and Claire changed? One shiny bald man looks much the same as another, and Claire always manages to look amazing wherever she goes. So how do we measure the last eight and a half years since we arrived at church? Well, do you want to see some of the big figures that we could use? Look at these. Sorry this is a little bit small, but I have responded to 41,430 emails over the last eight and a half years. I reckon as a church during that time we've sung something in the region of two and a half thousand hymns and worship songs. You've had to suffer me preaching around 500 or so sermons, possibly more. I've spent 200 hours in leadership meetings, 100 hours chairing church meetings. If you've got a scale of what that would feel like, that would be if we called the church meeting now, we'd be sitting here through till Thursday lunchtime without sleep. That would be a blessed time, wouldn't it? So how do you measure the time that we've had? Well, those are the big numbers, but those aren't the important things. There are important things about lives that have been changed. I think on average, we've during that period seen about four people a year being baptised and commit themselves in that way to the Lord Jesus. We've run Alpha courses, marriage courses. We had that rock conversation early on where the hub came out of, which is still running. We've had pioneering ministries start and all kinds of other things that have been talked about today. But we've done it together. It's not about me, it's about serving the Lord Jesus. We think about our nation and the UK and beyond over that same time period. We've had five UK prime ministers. Can you name them all? We can probably do the prime ministers. Who was it? Cameron? Theresa May? Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, Rishi. Anyone wants to go through the Home Secretaries? Good luck with that one. Chancellors, seven chancellors, seven foreign secretaries. We had Brexit, we had Trump, Obama was still um, president when we started here and it lasted till 2017. We've had Biden and then we had the whole period of Covid. We had two years when church felt totally different to anything I think anybody had ever experienced. There have been times for us that have been nothing but joy for us as a family. Times when we've dedicated um, children, times when we've baptised, times when we've, we've seen people get married, and so many other great moments. But also times of challenge. If anyone says to you, oh, being a minister is an easy role, do not believe them. I think it is one of the toughest things. I think it was the Archbishop of Canterbury who said his toughest role had been as a parish priest when he was dealing with the day-to-day -day stuff of church life. I remember when I first told my minister at the time that I was thinking about training for ministry. He said to me, you will need thick skin. You will need really thick skin. 
like that of a rhino or an armadillo. You will need that really thick skin to keep going. Because one day, you'll be on the mountaintop, and everything will be wonderful, and you'll be thinking, thank God for what he's doing. The next day, tragedy hits, and actually something is really difficult. And in the midst of all that, you're trying to balance out your own emotions. But ministry is never solo. We're never called to be solo ministers. Can I just thank everybody who's partnered with us over the last period of time? But what matters? What matters about the last eight and a half years? I want you to think about that. What really matters in your life today? What are those things that are really important? Let me just pray, then I'm going to read the Bible and we'll talk about this together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a faithful God. This morning I want to thank you for every person who has been in this church over recent years. I want to thank you for each leader and staff member that we've had the privilege of serving alongside. We want to thank you for each church member that's played a part in partnering in the gospel. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, we just want to look at this question, what really matters? What matters in the life of a church? What matters in our lives as individuals? So we just pray that as we open your word together, that you would inspire us this morning, not about human beings, but about you, who came and lived amongst us, who died for us, who rose again so that one day we will rise and we will reign with you forever. So we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you've got a Bible with you, do you want to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians? Keep going this way. I don't know what happened there. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. It's entitled, Christ crucified is God's power and wisdom. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to them whose God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Amazing words there from Paul. Well, on Wednesday, I got back from Romania, me and Will and George, We'd spent a week out there visiting Violet and Adrian, and they are up in Satamare near the Hungarian border, and we spent time visiting churches, we spent time preaching, we spent time um, visiting people, and also seeing some of the most amazing scenery in what is an incredibly beautiful country. 
And for those of you who've been to Romania before, experiencing the local food can be a little bit of a challenge. Um, the first time we went over there, it was stuffed cabbage that divided opinion as to whether people thought it was wonderful or absolutely horrific. Um, and there was no in-between. We were sort of split as to who found what. Now, this time, it wasn't stuffed cabbage that seemed to be the issue, but it was this kind of jellied meat. And it was, I think it was pork that was boiled to such an extent that the meat became plumped out with the water and around it formed this jelly that was really slimy and it was kind of moist and slippery and disgusting. Pick your adjective, whatever works for you. And a lasting memory will be George's face as he put this stuff in his mouth. Talk to him after the service about what it was like. But anyway, this illustration, nothing about the food. That is just an aside. Um, It was really encouraging in Romania to see how God is working. And there was one of the churches that we went to in a little place called Petin that I think five or six years ago had about eight people there. The room was full. There were 30 plus people there from babies right the way through, all the age groups represented. And if you look to the church Facebook page, you will have seen us singing um, How Great Thou Art. Some of us singing in English, the rest of the church singing in Hungarian, which is the language they speak over there. And one thing Adrian was very keen that we did was to make sure that we had songs that we could sing both in English and Hungarian so that we could join in worship together. And he lent me a hymn book that one of the churches used. Now, I don't speak Hungarian. You're probably not surprised at that. But I do have Google Lens. Has anyone used Google Lens on their phone? It's amazing. It translates anything for you on the spot. Brilliant if you're in a restaurant in a country that you don't know and you want to see what the food is that you're going to be eating. So I took my Google Lens, and I'm there with this old hymn book, flicking through, managed to find, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord, for loving me, you know, some of these old choruses that we used to sing. But it didn't always get things right. This is the chorus of one of the hymns that I found. I'll read it out in case you sat near the back and can't read it. I can't make it. I can't come to the guest house. Don't bother me anymore. I just got married. An ox tooth is waiting for me. Anyone know that well-known chorus? Anyone know that? No. It's interesting, isn't it, how things get mistranslated. You know, sometimes what I think is that actually we mistranslate the gospel in our lives. Sometimes we look at what really matters and we mistranslate it and we look through the wrong lens. And we start to think that following Jesus is about something that actually it isn't about. And what Paul has to do to the church in Corinth is say, get back to basics. Get back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so in um, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, we get this verse, a very well-known verse. For I resolved, or possibly better translated, I decided to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. Nothing but Jesus and him crucified. You see, for Paul, for all his ministry, for all his church planting, for all his epic letter writing, and thank God that he wrote those amazing letters that we have in our New Testament, what mattered to him the most was having the gospel, the cross of Jesus, running through him like Blackpool runs through a stick of rock. So that if you chop Paul in half, not literally, but metaphorically, you would find that he was a gospel man through and through. See, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is so simple that we can describe it in just a few words. 
Jesus Christ died for our sins to bring us back to God. That covers the gospel. That is what the good news is. Yet it is so complicated and complex that we can spend our whole life studying it and being devoted to it and still not fully grasp the enormity of what God has done for us. And yet the gospel can easily get lost in our lives. It can get lost in the life of a church. We can focus too much on other things. Now today is the last time I will get to preach at LVC, at least for a while. Do invite me back. I will come if you invite me at some point in the future. Well, can I encourage you to do two very simple things this morning? This is nothing that I've not said before. Let Jesus be central and his cross. Let it be central in the church. Don't get distracted. And then secondly, be empowered by the Spirit. Because you can't do the first without the second. If you try and do it in your own strength, you won't get very far. You see, for churches, it is really hard to keep that central. As individuals, it's really hard to keep that central. We are in a spiritual battle. And actually, what I find out in my own life is the enemy will do absolutely anything he possibly can to keep me distracted from being a gospel-centred person. And I mean literally anything. Good stuff, bad stuff, you name it, I will get distracted. For churches, it is so easy to get distracted. You know, the church here, it's wonderful to have a full church with loads of people as part of it. It's amazing to have this amazing building that we've talked about that was um, renewed and refurbished a number of years ago and is now fit for purpose for the next um, season of ministry. And it can be so easy to get sucked into the running of a large charity, to making sure all our HR stuff is right for the staff team and it's appropriate that that is done, to make sure that everything is ticking over, to make sure that our Christmas programmes and all the rest of it is all in place. But it should never be at the expense of the gospel. It should never should never be at the expense of the gospel. If the gospel is removed from the church, what is the church? A pretty poor second-rate social club that's united around goodness knows what. Put the gospel in, and it's the power of God for salvation. As individuals, we get distracted. Well, at least I do. You might not, but I get distracted all the, all the time. And I can forget that my primary calling is to be a person of the gospel, to living and sharing Jesus. Every other demand can place itself on us. It might be work, it might be family, it might be friends, it might be houses. You know, just yesterday our front door broke. We have now got to sort out buying a new front door this week because we can just about shut it and lock it, but it's fallen apart. Cars, the rest of it, you know, it can all crowd into our lives and it can stop us from focusing first and foremost about being people of the cross and the resurrection. So Paul here is writing to a struggling church, a church in this city of Corinth, a church that was anything but a simple place to be a Christian. Corinth was this mega city, it was a fashionable place, it was a sort of port city, lots of cultures of paganism and and the rest sort of moving around. And in verse 18, Paul says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The world has changed a lot since I first chatted to Roger on the phone in the last nine years. But imagine how much the world has changed in the last 2,000 years. It's changed astronomically. But actually, I don't think the human heart has hardly changed at all. We are still the same. We still get distracted. We can look at generations of the past and say, well, we're so much cleverer than they were. Yet I wonder if the generations of the past have sit looking at a screen this big at silly cat videos 
and wasting all the time looking at reels and those kind of things. And actually getting distracted from the most important thing that is Jesus Christ. So Paul has to remind this church about the power of the cross. This is the only place where human beings are saved and brought back to God. This is where God's power is demonstrated through weakness. Now we tend to think of power as strength, don't we? We tend to think of powerful people as people who can influence. The Greeks thought about their armies. The Romans had their legions. They also had their intellects, their philosophies, and their thinking. And they grew a civilization that was unlike anything that had existed before, and probably since, to be fair. But the idea of God, of just one God, coming as a baby, in incarnation, dying on a cross, was just foolishness to them. Couldn't get their heads around it. They thought they knew better. Paul writes in verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. You see, for the Jews, and Paul here is talking about Jews who hadn't accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and Messiah. Remember, Paul is Jewish, so he's talking about people who hadn't done that. The idea of a suffering Messiah was something quite contrary to them. The idea that, that God would send his Messiah not as a conquering hero, not as somebody who would chuck out Roman rule, but as somebody who would die for their sin was alien to them. They hadn't really clocked what Isaiah 52 and 53 and the suffering servant was all about. The cross has and does cause so many questions for people who are unconvinced by Christ. But you see, for Paul, being a Christian hinges on accepting the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. As Christ dies, he takes on our sin. He takes on our rubbish. He means that actually we can be free to be the people God created us to be. We can be free to have that relationship back with God. The cross where, because sin is defeated, the very thing that sin causes, death itself, is also defeated. It's at the cross we walk into freedom, we walk into new life. It's at the cross and through Jesus' rising again that we can become part of the new creation. It doesn't happen through um, clever thinking. It doesn't happen through hollow philosophy. God doesn't come and deal with the symptoms of our problem, you know, the stresses and anxieties that we all feel because we're human and broken. He comes and deals with the root cause. And he says, walk into freedom. Walk into being part of the new creation. God's wisdom is shown in weakness. God's wisdom is shown in a crucified Messiah who defeats death and rises in glory. So two things about the cross of Jesus. Personally, you may be here today and you may have heard a lot about the cross, but you've never accepted it for yourself. Can I make one last plea? If you have not said yes to Jesus, could I encourage you to do that today? Just to say yes to following him, to come to the cross and lay it all down and say, Lord, I want to have that new life. But perhaps today, like so many of us, You've got distracted. Perhaps everything is crowding out the cross of Jesus in life. And perhaps you're just nodding in the direction of being a Christian, but actually it's not running through you anymore. Perhaps you need to recommit yourself today to the cross of Jesus. You see, as I read Paul's writings, the cross is either central to our lives or it needs to be a raising. It can't be moderately important. That is one thing the gospel simply cannot be. Now, we've now lived in Lim and now in Thelwall for the last eight and a half years. 
And round here, we live in an area where human markers of achievement are really important. Now, some of these are good things. You know, it's good to do well at school. It's good to pass your exams, all the rest of it. It's good to have a nice house. It's, it's good to get qualifications. All these things can be positive. But when measured against the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're not that important. When everything is laid down, they're not that important. You know, when I come and I stand before the Lord in glory, and it's on what basis do I enter into eternal life, it will not be because I lived in Thelwall. It will not be because I've got an MA in contextual theology, and I'm still not sure quite what that means. It won't be because I drove a reliable Honda Civic. It won't be even because I own a Border Collie, important that there is. It won't be because I support Stockport County. None of these things will matter at the judgment seat of God, only that I put my faith in the Messiah. That is all. So what is your life measured against? Is it measured against the cross of Jesus or something else? Do you need to reevaluate? What's our life? What has our last eight and a half years been about? What will the next, if God gives us another eight and a half years, what will that be about? Will it be about the gospel and serving Jesus? What about for LBC? Just hold on. I'm just going to have a pause and a breather. What about for LBC? See, pastoral vacancy is often a weird time for churches. It can be unsettling when a minister leaves. But it can also be really freeing. You'll get to hear loads of different people preach. Yay! <laughs> what a blessing that will be for many of you. Loads of different people lead. And people sharing their, their vision for where the church should be going. Now, ministers, we're a funny lot, ministers. Because even with the best intentions, and even though we probably try not to do it, the danger is we anchor churches down into our style of doing things. And once a minister isn't there, the church is more free to start to shape future and start to think about um, where the church is heading. Now, I've seen churches that when the lead minister leaves have blossomed so much that you think, well, why was the minister there beforehand? <laughs> it's my prayer that that is what happens here, that you are so focused on Jesus that actually you continue to blossom as a church. But sadly, that isn't always the case. And it is very easy for churches to slip into maintenance mode. And it's very easy for churches to lose the focus on the gospel. And there can be a phrase that pops up all too often. It says, when the new minister comes, they will. And whatever you happen to want to happen in the life of the church gets pushed forward to when the new minister arrives. Can I encourage you? Stay focused around being a gospel church. Stay focused around Jesus. Stay focused around the cross of Christ. Don't lose your vision for sharing Jesus. Because that's what it's about. It's not about any of these other things. Primarily, that is what the church exists for. And as you do that, can I encourage you to support your leadership team? So important that you do this over the next coming season. You've got some amazing leaders here. Support them. Support those who stand up here and give themselves preaching week by week. And if you want advisors for preaching, speak to Sam and Alison. They are always full of wisdom. I know they will say they're not, but they are. Speak to them. They will be great inputters into your sermons. You know, church is not about coming and saying, oh, I didn't like that song. That didn't do it for me this morning. It's about Jesus. Keep united around the gospel and everything else will fall into place. Secondly, and much more briefly, you'll be glad to know, be empowered by the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 8. Actually, I think it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's uh, my last misspelling for you. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, if we're to be gospel people, we need to be spirit-empowered. You can't do one without the other. It is absolutely impossible. Ask anybody who's tried. To be a witness to Jesus, we need the power of the Spirit. Now, in the book of Acts, the the first disciples were told to wait for the Spirit. Why? Well, because the Spirit hadn't been poured out on all flesh. And so they had to wait. They had to wait for Pentecost when the power of the Spirit fell. And when this power of the Spirit fell, it didn't fall on just one or two people. It fell on everybody who was there. Men, women, young, old. There are no boundaries on whom the Spirit falls upon. And the good news today is we do not need to sit around and wait for the Spirit. We just need to come with open arms and say, Lord, I am here. I am ready to receive your Spirit. We do not need to wait. We just need to receive. So for you as a church, can I encourage you to seek the Holy Spirit? To seek to be empowered to seek both the gifts of the Spirit that enable us to speak the Word of God into the current situation, seek the fruits of the Spirit in our lives so that we demonstrate Jesus to the world around. As a church, listen to what the Spirit is saying. It's this week of prayer. You know, don't leave that to the people who just regularly go to prayer meetings. If you don't normally go to a prayer meeting, make tomorrow and the rest of the week an absolute priority to pray with each other. Seek the Spirit together. Seek what the Spirit would do in the life of a church. And as you get to the point, and I'm hoping, as Chris does, that it's only a few months down the line, that a new minister appears and is called, get together and seek God and make sure that's the right person. And pray and join in with what the Spirit is doing. You see, when Jesus is central, when we're empowered by the Spirit, God does amazing things. God does amazing things. When we start to try and do things in our own strength, when we get distracted, things quickly spiral and we start to do very human things, which are not always brilliant. So two reminders, personally, as a church, keep Jesus central, be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have saved us. We thank you for the power of the cross this morning. And I just want to pray, Lord, that you would help each of us in the room today and those watching online to come again and to dedicate our lives to you and your gospel. We thank you that the gospel is of grace received by faith. We thank you that we don't deserve what you give us. We can't earn it. And we just pray, Lord, that you will help us to be gospel-centered people. But Lord, we can't do that in our own strength. And Holy Spirit, we pray again today that you would fill each person who has given their lives over to you afresh. Holy Spirit, would you just come now and refill where we're dry? I want to pray that for me and Claire as we go into a new season, that you would equip us for what that holds. I want to pray that for all our friends here. Lord, that your spirit would enable us to serve you and that we might see more people come to know you. And we ask it for Jesus' sake and his glory. Amen.